know how long those things are going to go. <clears throat> Good morning, church. I guess we should answer the, the question of the elephant in the room. What am I doing up here? I don't know. Tell you what, you can bang on Todd's door at 2 a.m. enough, he'll finally cave and let you speak. I'm just kidding. Is this thing on? No? It was a rough day. All right. <clears throat> Give you a little background about myself. Um, I don't get a cool intro like Todd because Todd gets to get up here and say, I'm Pastor Todd. You're a wayfinder. I'm not a pastor here or anywhere for that fact. Um, yeah. Thanks, Robbie. Right. Robbie asked me this morning, hey, you got a little microphone thingy on your head. I was like, yeah, I know. Don't ask. So I, I grew up in church. Um, pretty sure if it were to be a sterile enough environment, my family would have had me born in church. My great-grandfather was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. I had a great-uncle that was a pastor. My brother's been a pastor for the last 15 or 16 years or so. I'm the black sheep of the family. I went into finance. But if it's any consolation, I did minor, minor, not major, in religious studies in college. Um, I am ordained, and I did spend seven years teaching youth, if that matters for anything. But, so if I end up talking to you like you're 16 or 17, I'm sorry, or you're welcome. I don't know. <clears throat> and also because my last eight years of experience um, as a financial advisor, I'm on the, chief, the church uh, finance team. So, and that's what we're kind of talking about now is wrapping up the Thanks and Giving series. But if there's anything I learned from listening to my family preach growing up is I knew if I ever got up here, I would make sure we're out in time to go watch Cowboys play. Because I cannot tell you how many first quarters or even first halves I missed sitting in church. So I have until Thursday to wrap this up. <laughs> Somebody already knew that joke, didn't they? So today we are wrapping up the Thanksgiving series, and at this time of year, it's really not all that hard to feel thankful. Um, we get it from everywhere. Uh, you get blasted with all these commercials. Give thanks. Feel thankful. Go spend money. Buy turkey. All that other stuff. Everyone knows how Thanksgiving started with the whole Indians and the pilgrims getting together. Actually, I'm a little weird, and I looked this up. 1621. Does anyone know what they were actually celebrating? No? Okay. I kind of had an idea, but it was their first harvest here in the New World. So they come over here, they've been here a while, and they, they reap their first harvest. Come to find out, the English colonists actually did this quite a bit. Um, they would get together and give thanks for winning military battles, for rain after ending a drought, um, and for reaping a harvest. Um, it was first celebrated nationally in 1789 by a proclamation from George Washington. Thomas Jefferson later chose not to observe the holiday, and it was kind of just observed on again, off again, until uh, Abraham Lincoln made it a federal holiday during the Civil War in 1863. He proclaimed it a day of, and I quote, 
thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent, beneficent Father who dwells in the heavens. So how many of you knew we actually celebrate the Lord our God on Thanksgiving? Two hands? Okay. Well, you know, nowadays we're in, what, the year 2018? We had to Americanize it. It's all about turkeys and football and parades and as much food as we can possibly consume in one, one day. But anybody that watches TV, you know, all you hear about is the Black Friday sales. And I think I saw so many Chevy truck commercials that, okay, don't go over there. Is this good, Eric? Okay. Anyway, sorry, I digress. So what if for one minute, now, excuse me, football and turkey fans, which I am, but what if for one minute we take a step back Get away from all the marketing ploys, all the food, all the fantastic sales, and we focus on something that we are truly thankful for. Do you think the colonists were just going through the motions when they're thankful, when they celebrate a military battle, when they celebrate the end of a drought, reaping of a harvest to actually have food to eat? feel like they were probably very humbled and, and very thankful. So this year when I woke up on Thanksgiving, um, quite early might I add because my kids aren't to the age where they know they can sleep in when they don't have school. So I was sitting on the couch in their playroom and I was going through my notes trying to make sense of all this. I knew I was going to be up here talking for a little over a month, so I'd been making notes and I sat down to make sense of all of it. You know, I told Todd this morning, this, does this remind my notebook? For a month, I made notes. And God sent me a whole different direction. So I've got to stay tied to this iPad because this isn't my message. On Thanksgiving, he's really laid on my heart what I'm truly thankful for. I'm thankful that I have a job I can provide for my family. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for my salvation. You know, even little things. I'm thankful that screen. You guys, it sounds really weird, but when I'm sitting back there in my cage, I love that screen. I can see it. Todd's asked me before, do we need to get a couple 70-inch TVs? I like that screen. I really, really, really don't like setting it up, but I like that screen. But I'm thankful for Gordy, who does set that up. There's a lot less grumbling than I do. And he's not even here, probably because he's given credit. So, <clears throat> sorry. You know, a lot of these things are, are very usual that people give thanks for on Thanksgiving. Maybe not Gordy, but, well, you know, Gordy should be celebrated across America. He's just, that screen is a pain to set up. Sorry. <clears throat> Have you guys ever been so thankful for something you get a little overwhelmed, a little emotional, like I just did? 
That's how I was feeling on Thursday. Do you ever get that feeling where you get so emotional, you want to just do something, anything, bringing the, the action out, make, making it intentional? That's where we're going to look here in Exodus. Let's look at Exodus 35, 4 through 9. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and hides of sea cows. I don't remember could pronounce that. Something about akaita wood? I don't know. Some kind of special, expensive wood. Thank you. Acacia wood. Guys, I deal with numbers, not English. Olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastplate. So, let's break this down. Exodus is like... uh, an instruction booklet for Moses. You have the burning bush telling Moses to go free your people. Um, You have God using Moses with the plagues to convince Pharaoh and the other Egyptians to to let the people go. You have Moses leading the people across the Red Sea. Um, God giving them manna from heaven, providing water from a rock. Moses writing the Ten Commandments from uh, Mount Sinai. Uh, Moses teaching the laws to the Israelites, giving instruct, God giving Moses instructions for the tabernacle, for the Ark of the Covenant, for the altar, teaching them what materials are to be used for what, chiseling the Ten Commandments again, because he broke the first set. He really, that's what God says. Do it again, because he broke it. And if I, if I kind of picture that like my dad would say it to me, a little sarcastic, you know? I think God has a sense of humor, so all right, Moses, do it again, since you broke the last one. That's how I feel it. Um, So 10 chapters earlier, in in chapter 25, Moses gets instructions about the tabernacle. God told Moses, then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. In chapter 35, it's a little, little repetitious, but it doesn't exactly say the same thing over. It's, it's just instructions. Uh, he instructs them to take an offering to build the tabernacle or the sanctuary. Um, the sanctuary is to be dedicated to the honor of God and used in his service. So everything that was brought for it was an offering to God. So let's look at verse 5. Moses instructs the people in verse 5 to take an offering for the Lord. Then he provides a list of materials. Uh, let's look at this list. Gold, silver, bronze, expensive garments, spices. You know, this isn't exactly a country club audience he's talking to. These, these were former slaves. This doesn't make sense. But he's asking them to give this. This actually reminds me of my, my favorite verse of, of stewardship. And we'll have it here on the screen. It's from Mark 12. 
talking about Jesus right here, and he sat down opposite of the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples and said, Truly, I say to you, this poor woman has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything that she had, all she had to live on. So you see, earlier in Exodus, when God freed the the slaves from bondage, it was so convincing to the Egyptians that they gave the, the Hebrews anything that they asked for. So they wanted them to just get out as quickly as possible. So they plundered them. Well, that might be a little harsh. All they did is really ask, hey, can I have your gold and your silver and all that? And they're like, yes, take it. Get out of here. The, the gold and silver jewelry, it was, it was quite rare back then. As you can manage, imagine, they, they didn't really have a sale. Just go pick up whatever they wanted to. Um, and all these blue, purple, scarlet, all these fabrics, were, were the, they were the rich people things. And here they are. Moses is saying, give us an offering. Give us these things that you have. The only things that you have. So we can build a temple for God. So you see what God has done here. He's delivered them from bondage and slavery. And they've seen what all God has done. But yet God has already been equipping them with the materials that, they, that he's going to need to build the tabernacle. He's showing them that he will always provide a financial resource necessary to complete his vision. I think that's pretty powerful. Let's go back to Exodus 35. Before he announces in verse 5 the, the list, he clarifies to them, telling their contributions Sorry, I was up here like trying to type the message or the notes this morning. Let me read it from the Bible. That works. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring the Lord an offering. So he clarifies telling them that their contributions are willing. Now, this whole part, like I said, is, is kind of repeated from chapter 25, but not verbatim. The only part that is repeated exactly is the word willing. Um, and it translated in the NIV is, is actually two Hebrew words. The first one is nadiv, which means pertaining to being voluntary and uncoerced, implying generosity. The second one is lev, which is usually translated as heart, but can mean heart, mind, soul, and spirit. So he's really emphasizing the fact that it needs to be voluntary. It needs to be of your own accord. Let's think of this. Everyone close your eyes. I want you to imagine your beautiful day, whatever that is to you. Hot, cold, sunny, cloudy, whatever. It's, it's your day. It's your beautiful day. You're looking forward to what you're going to do whatever you want to do, 
that you've been looking forward to. For me, it's slightly overcast. I'm going to go start my day by going to the gym. I'm going to come out. It's going to be sunny. And I'm going to go home, play outside with my family. That's my beautiful day. Whatever this means for you, I want you to think about your beautiful day. You've been looking forward to this for so long. But there's one thing you have to do before you can do your day. You have to go gather your mail. You have to sit down. You have to get out your checkbook. You have to pay your bills. That feeling that you just got, that little sunken feeling, you can open your eyes. That little sunken feeling you got, you know, since you didn't think I was going there with it, that, that is exactly how you're not supposed to feel. That, that sense of obligation, that whether you have the money or not, you know it's that, that's a very limited person. <laughs> whether you know you have the money or not, you, that, that sense of obligation, that feeling, that, that I just know what I'm talking about. It's just there. I don't want to, but I have to. It, it creates a stress hormone. Um, it, it, it's similar to the feeling of survival. And in your brain, it, it, from, it comes from the amygdala, which is also where the fight-or-flight response comes from. So sit down and pay your bills. You guys just got that feeling that, oh, ah, no, I don't want to. That's not how it's supposed to be. What it's supposed to be is no sense of obligation. Bills, you're obligated to do. Unless you don't like the stuff, you know, just come take the stuff away. But to see what no sense of obligation looks like, let's watch this video. You know how sometimes it feels like life just happens? You know, just random things seem to fill your day. Things with little or no consequence to anyone else. I mean, I know God's in control of my life, but I never really saw how much he was weaving my story with other people's stories and really into his story. Well, that's all changed. It was a cold day, the kind where you really don't want to have some long conversation outside with someone, especially with someone you don't really know. But exactly what God had in mind. Amy and I had just eaten lunch at Dumplings downtown Franklin, and we were walking to the car and we see this couple that I thought I recognized from church. It would have been awkward just to walk by them and not say anything, so we stopped and said hey and did the whole, yeah, yeah, you guys go to fellowship thing, whatever. Well, we start talking and the whole Dave Ramsey thing comes up. They asked us where we were in the process, and I told them that so far we paid off 60000 but still had $10,000 left to go. They asked us what we would do when we were debt-free, and I laughed and told him, well, I told my kids I'd buy them a trampoline, but we really wanted to adopt, and we committed to being debt-free before we did. The whole conversation only lasted about three minutes. It was like, nice to meet you. That was random. Well, the next day, that random person shows up at my office with this brand-new trampoline. I couldn't believe it. It was like, my kids are going to freak. I set it up that night, and my kids jumped on that thing for four hours. I mean, we didn't even know these people. They didn't have to do that. I mean, really, that's pretty generous. Well, 
The next day, I get an email from the same lady saying, Oh, you guys seem like a sharp couple, and we'd love to come by and talk to you about something. I emailed her back and said, That sounds like a multi-level marketing proposal. And if it was, we really weren't interested. Of course, she says it's not that sort of deal, but she was really persistent. She even called Amy. Amy had been sick, and it really wasn't a great time to have company over. Her house is a wreck, and we didn't feel like picking it up. We said everything short of, please don't come over to my house. So they show up, and I'm like, here we go. Let's get this over with. Don't say yes to anything. I couldn't believe they sunk their claws into us for that trampoline to get us involved in some pyramid schemes. Anyway, so we small talked for about five minutes, and then right when I thought they were about to drop the bomb, they did. But it wasn't the bomb I was expecting. So the lady says, well, we told you we'd only be a few minutes, and I really don't know how to say this, but we want to pay off your $10,000 left in debt so you guys can adopt. She pulls out her checkbook and goes, how do you spell your guy's name? What? Are you kidding me? Are you for real? I mean, who does that? Who writes somebody a check for $10,000 and gives it to people they don't even know? So they give us a check and they said, just don't act weird around the church and just don't tell anybody it was us. And they drove off. I mean, Amy and I stood there for 10 minutes in total shock. And we cried and we screamed and we ran all over the yard and the house. Unbelievable. I mean, seriously, it was beyond belief. We realized nine months later when we brought Malaya home, the check they wrote us was dated nine months prior to Malaya's due date. They gave us that money right about the time our daughter was conceived. It was like God was saying, I have a baby out there for you right now. I'm not waiting around another two years for you to pay off that debt. We felt called to adopt, but we simply couldn't afford to do it on our own. We found this random couple had already adopted four children and felt a calling to continue to serve through adoption. Rather than bringing more children into their home, they decided to help others adopt. It didn't just happen. It wasn't random at all. God knew his plan. He had just invited us to walk with him through this process. He was weaving our callings, our stories together for us to love and to care for each other, to make a beautiful tapestry for his glory. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone ever feel like Scott and Amy there? You know, a little bit like, what's your agenda? What strings are attached to this? I mean, really, who wouldn't? Who really does, you know, altruistic acts like that anymore or ever? I'm sure those millionaires or billionaires, they give money away all the time, right? You know, really, we all do it, if you think about it. Occasionally, you hear in the news about those, uh, what do they call them, like those, the random acts of kindness where people just start paying for the order of the people behind them in the drive through line, get 10, 20, 30, 40 cars long. Those are everyday people. Those are us. I don't imagine millionaires and billionaires stand in line in the drive-thru for, you know, for their own stuff. I, they have people for that. I don't know. <clears throat> but we actually see that all the time. You know, how about giving to a charity? Is that not an altruistic act? Something that's truly unselfish that, that you 
it doesn't benefit you. You know, I go to many fundraisers, and I get to witness people that, that give their money just like that to, to do good for something or someone else. An example of a, a charity that's really good at their marketing um, to force you to give is that, that one with the Sarah McLaughlin commercial. That gets me every time. I just want to go out and get all those dogs. Bring them all home. You know, it doesn't really make me want to call and give them some money. I don't know. Speaking of giving money, I remember coming back from one of said fundraisers with my mother-in-law. I remember telling her, I cannot wait till I have a lot of money and I can help. I can give money away. Help these people. Help this organization. She looked at me, and what she said stuck with me, because this was probably eight or nine years ago. And what she said stuck with me. She said, you don't have to give money to help. You can volunteer. Now, my only experience volunteering was back in elementary. They would bus us every Christmas to the nursing home so we can sing Christmas carols. My only experience. So in my head, I was thinking, no way. Not doing it. I can't carry a tune. I'm not volunteering for anything. It stuck with me. A couple months later, eh, probably several months later, I got a call from a friend who, who lived in our same neighborhood. And she asked me if I would like to buy a team and donate to their, their fundraiser, which was a golf tournament. She knew I liked to play golf. Why not spend a lot of money to do it? Sorry, I don't have the money. Keep me in mind, though, that one day I might. A few months later, I got a call from her again. She says, hey, how would you like to come help us out? How would you like to be on the board of this organization? I said, sure. What do you all do? So she told me. It was the Hayes Education Foundation. This was the very first nonprofit I ever got involved with outside of church. Um, she told me that we raise money and we give grants to teachers and we help those programs that are unfunded or underfunded. Like, that sounds amazing. Count me in. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going I'm to come help. My first task was to put on that golf tournament that I denied the year before because I didn't have any money. We raised $25,000 in my first year to put back into this district so we could help programs. It was so rewarding. So, I was so excited. I was so elated. I just I wanted to make it bigger and better and, and help more. So the next year, we raised more money and more money. And year after year, we raised more and more money. My last year, for that golf tournament, we raised $75,000 to put back into this district. That's three times the amount of people we could help, three times the amount of programs we could fund. And it didn't cost me any money. A little time, a little effort. So I'm here telling you it's not all about the money. God tells us to be good stewards for all that he has given us. He didn't just give us money. He didn't give us money at all, in fact. He's not Bruce Almighty and you pray and 
answer is yes, you win the lottery. You guys remember that? Do you remember that? They all won like 17 bucks or something like that. He doesn't do that. He's given us the ability to go out so we can make our money. Stewardship is, is the ethic that embodies responsible planning and management of resources. It can be applied to, to all things, to health, to information, the property, skills, money, everything. So let's go back to Exodus and see how we're doing in there. We're going to flash forward to chapter 36, verses 1 through 7. So Bezalel and Ohalehab and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and the ability to know how to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do so, just as the Lord had commanded. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Oholihab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given the ability and who was willing to come do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work in the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing what the, the work of the Lord has commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and sent the word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to take is to make anything else as an off to take anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do the work. Okay. Going back to verse 1. Every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and the ability to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do so just as the Lord has commanded. In, in saying in verse 2 Almost the exact same thing. Moses summoned every skilled person to whom the Lord has given the ability to work, and who was willing. There's that willing word again, to come do the work. So when God provides a vision, he's going to see that his people are well-equipped to help complete that vision. I feel that I was born with a, a pretty healthy, capable body, so... When it comes time for me to meet God, I want to make sure that I use it. I hope that I'm old, worn down, torn up, battered from using my body for his kingdom. That's what I want. Sorry, I guess I need to hurry up. All right, so in verses 4 and 5, the, the workers were stopped. They stopped their work and went to Moses and said, they're bringing way more than we need. The, the Israelites, I told you, they, they really didn't have anything. They were slaves. But morning after morning, they kept bringing their offerings, more than what was needed to build the sanctuary, to build the tabernacle. Can you imagine being stopped from giving an offering, from being more? Say, look, we have more than enough. You can stop. They were so thankful from what had happened, from being delivered from bondage, from slavery, that they're just giving everything. They go get more and give more. 
just gives everything that they had. Let me provide you a, a real example for me. not to get emotional. When I was young, a young boy, my mom was in charge of the angel tree. You know, the tree that had cut out angels on it. It has a family name. You pick one, you go buy a present for a family. You're either going to help provide toys for that family or be the only provider for the toys for the family because they may not get any. Every year, my mom would would take a, an angel to help out a family. Let me back up. In California, my, my mom was a kindergarten teacher. When we moved to Texas, the, the qualifications were a little different, so she couldn't teach here. But she wanted to be with my brother and I so much she took whatever job she could find at the at the school. She became a teacher there. She made the choice to spend time with me and my brother and try to raise two teenage boys on a $20,000 a year salary. To help make ends meet, she, uh, she would stay after on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and sing at church. We, uh, six miles down the road, there was another town that had a, a 99-cent theater. We had some cousins that went to our church, so we, uh, my brother and I would ride with them, go to the theater. A lot of times, my mom didn't have two bucks to give us. She always go to those movies. So on the, on the times that she did, or the times our cousins would pay for us, my brother and I would go, and we'd go up and down the road, picking up the pennies from the people's change of the theater. So we could literally save our pennies to go back. You get how poor we were? One year, deadline had passed. She was taken. She was taken by the angel tree. There were two left. Instead of Asking someone else who had money to take them. She took them. I was old enough to realize that, you know, we weren't the Rockefellers. We weren't the Vanderbilts. We weren't the Waltons. We didn't have any money. So I asked her, why? Why are you taking her? She looked at me and said, they need it more than we do. I was old enough to realize we didn't have any money. But I wasn't old enough to realize that that didn't matter. She was so thankful, so faithful for what we already had. She would give what else she could. I got to my seat in his church. Our very first service, we took an offering, and we gave it all away. We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if we were going to have money to make it. 
with him. He's a faithful church, and he gave it all away. So what's next for Wayfinders? Well, no one's ever received a salary from Wayfinders. Todd, our pastor, has never received a salary. For three years, our district, our Nazarene district, has helped us. That's not the case. That's not always going to be the case. We're not going to fully fund Todd's salary anymore. We currently have about eight or so people that come each week and, and help set all this up so we don't have to meet in an empty gym. We currently have about a dozen or so volunteers that switch out every other week in the kids. We currently reside here in the Kimbrough building. We don't know how long we can or will stay here. Your, uh, your church team has been exploring options for the future, which includes trying to find a semi-permanent space. One that we can build and rent out portions of. One that we can call home, where we wouldn't have to set up and tear down each week. Remember, in verses 4 and 5, Moses had to stop people from being your offerings because they had more than enough. More than enough should be the rallying cry, rallying cry for every believer. We have more than enough talent. We have more than enough finances. More than enough skill. Everyone should be crying for more than enough. We've had some people give their time, their money, their effort, their skill to help out this church. We're still very young in God's vision. With more help, we could, we'd like to see our service teams be on a once-a-month rotation. Our vision includes paying our pastors very soon. Our vision will be to eventually have a place that we can come together where we can serve at of whenever we want, do whatever we want without having to scheduling it with the school. I would love to get to the place where we have more than enough. Good news for you, I'm not asking you to come construct a church like they did. What I am asking you is to help build a church. As we grow, we're going to need help. We can't grow without help. We can't grow without more resources. We all have something to give. It was just a month ago, we had more kids down there than we had people up here. If you have a kid down there, maybe you know how to raise one or take care of one for an hour. You could volunteer down there. If you know how to make coffee, maybe you could volunteer for our hospitality team. If you can lift 5, 10, 15 pounds, maybe you'd like to come help us set up. If you have an ounce of musical talent, which is about three ounces more than I have, you can come join our worship team. Wouldn't it be amazing 
if we had some willing people step up, serve once a month, 12 hours a year, wouldn't it be amazing if we had some willing people give their offerings to the kingdom? Chris, in the first week, talked about faith and used the parable of the mustard seed about how farmers have such faith in in the smallest of the seeds to to become a tree so that all the birds can come land on. We are a faithful church. And like a mustard seed, we started small. The mustard seed turns into a tree, but like all trees, you're either growing or you're dying. We can't continue on our vision without exponential growth. And as a church, we must grow in the thankful and giving attitude together. If you consider yourself a wayfinder, I hope you feel the same. Let's pray.